Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Thursday evening. We are one week away from the first round of the NFL Draft. I can't say if at this exact moment that I'm talking to you whether the Commanders will have picked yet because you never know how quick or slow the first round goes, but around this time we'll have a feel for what Washington will do. That's, of course, assuming... They stay at 16. You never know. You could go up. You could go more likely down. We will see what happens. Uh, Here's what we've got on the show today. I'm going to start off recapping today's press conference with Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew. Fairly light on details, but I'll give you my impression on a couple of things, including what they said about Chase Young and his fifth-year option. Then the guest today, oh, actually before that, I want to get. I'm going to. I'm going to play a little bit of a guessing game as to who do I think are the players on their short list for the 16th pick. I'll explain why in a minute. The guest today, ESPN analyst and former Washington safety Matt Bowen, joins me uh, to discuss the draft. Matt wrote an article. I think it came up last week about he went over. I think 53 different skill sets in this draft traits and tried to and he went and said which player in the draft does he think best epitomizes that specific skill set and we you know obviously I focused on players that could be in play here for Washington in the first round or on day two so an insightful conversation with Matt also asked him for his view of what he thinks uh, about everything that's going on here with his organization that he used to play for and then a little bonus at the end I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the Wizards firing GM Tommy Shepard. We'll have a deeper dive on this at some point, but I did want to at least mention it because, as many of you know, I do pay attention to the Wizards and and care about the situation, and it's a pretty fascinating scenario there. So we'll do all that in a moment here on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Standard Room Only podcast wherever you do your podcasting, and subscribe to The Athletic. If you uh, haven't already seen it, I did a new mock draft exercise for the Commanders, all seven rounds. I did not one mock, not two, not three, six different versions of the mock draft. I typically do three, but because the the potential for trade here just feels significant enough that I wanted to try it. I'm not saying it's significant like I'm. it's, it's the, the likely thing to happen. I just feel like based on where they are in the board, there is a good possibility that something may be there that's not for them, but is for somebody else. And I think trading down would be ideal for Washington. So uh, check that out, of course. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Um, everybody lost their blue check marks today. If you look at my account, I still have mine. I'm going to explain why. I was verified in the traditional way many years ago um the edit button uh before elon musk took over i subscribed when they offer the edit button option because i make a lot of typos <laughs> a lot and i you know when you yeah if you're just tweeting out something casual it's easy to just delete it and start over but when you're putting out some news sometimes it's not always easy or you don't catch it so that initially so that's why i did that i'm just mentioning that in case anybody cared uh, you know, the whole thing is silly, but that that's why that's going. That's why that I did that. So anyway, weird day. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know how many of you out there have blue checks or care about blue checks. The whole thing is is wacky, but we'll 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 leave it <laughs> alone there. All right. So here's so Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew spoke today and it was really not uh, eventful. I mean, a couple of the reporters we were talking afterwards about 
we have no idea what we're really going to write about. There was nothing really newsy at all. You know, it's not like we expect these people to be, you know, open books with their plans and what their strategy and their hopes and their dreams with the draft. But even for them, I think this was extra nothing. I think part of that was what's going on on the ownership front. Not to say that they're being told to not speak, but I think they're being extra careful for what they are saying and what they're not saying. Obviously, Dan Snyder is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all kind of waiting. Is that When is this deal with Josh Harris going to happen? Uh, could be you know, imminent. It could take a little bit of time. I'm just talking about the agreement. They still then have to go through the lengthy process of of the league approving the deal. And um, Forbes reported that there's 17 partners total in this group. Obviously, Josh Harris, Mitch Rails, Magic Johnson, the headliners. But that could take some some time. In any event, uh, Ron Rivera said he, he has not talked to anybody from the Harris group. He wouldn't say, though, whether he's talked to Dan Snyder recently. They typically would talk pre-draft, at least as a check-in. So they were tight-lipped more than usual, and I, I do think that there's some aspect of the ownership situation that is a factor. Now, one topic that has nothing to do with the draft, per in theory, is Chase Young's fifth-year option. We are still waiting on this. May 2nd is the deadline, so that's after the draft. Uh, Rivera, I, I I asked him today, hey, uh, have we, uh, I, I didn't say hey. <laughs> I said, have you, you know, where are you on this? I, I presume you're not going to make a decision today, but have you made a decision? And he just said, we have until May 2nd. And I followed up again. I'm like, okay, I understand, but like, have you actually made the decision already? And he just continued to say May second didn't didn't specify any other aspect of of that. And obviously, you know, I, I don't want to presume anything, but if you know, if they were going to have done it, you would think they would just say so by now. You know, Montez Sweat, his fifth year option was picked up by now, and we'll talk more about this in a minute when I discuss who I think some of their targets may be. But it's certainly a highly unusual that they can't even say at this point what is happening. I do think the draft has got to be some factor at this stage with what uh, could take place. Other than that, honestly, there really wasn't a ton out there. Uh, you know, they, they brought in Hendon Hooker for a recent visit. Rivera said that that was as much about due diligence as anything, that they still believe in Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. So fairly light there. Um, I, I'm not going to, no need to talk more about that, but that's at least sort of for me, the headliner of that. I guess the one other thing is I also asked, does having Andrew Wiley preclude you from taking a tackle at 16? And, uh, Martin Mayhew said it would not, not that he basically just said, between Wiley and adding Nick Gates and some of their other pieces, they've got a lot of flexibility. So it sounds like they are at least still open to the idea of uh, drafting a tackle if it's there. And I think that's, you know, an ideal scenario for them, depending on how the board shakes out. But they you know, they also feel that they don't have to do anything because they added some pieces in the offseason. Um, Wiley, I mentioned, Barton at linebacker, the same thing. So they are, uh, that that's how they view that scenario. Now, here's something, though, that Ron Rivera did say today that I wanted to mention. He was asked about, is there almost like an, uh, an issue with like too many options? You're right. When you're picking at 16, dead middle of the draft, we don't, you know, we can all speculate. Obviously, I do mock drafts. We can all sort of speculate here about what's going to happen. Oh, by the way, let me just mention mock drafts coming up. Evan Silva and I, not coming up today, Evan Silva and I, my, my pal, uh, uh, is going to join me. He and I have both won the mock draft contest in the past. Evan, of course, is one of the forces behind the, the great site established the run. We are going to do a mock draft uh, on Sunday, so look for that on Sunday night, Monday. We're going to do a mock draft together, and we'll share that result with you guys when, uh, when, when we're done. But... Rivera was asked about if they have too many options, and he, here's something that he said, quote, 
what happens in front of us all the way up to the 11th pick we have obviously we have obviously what we want to do what we want to do is put a group of guys up there on our board meaning and say these are the five guys that we see coming to us what is going to happen in the next five picks and are we going to have to react to what happens so that's about as specific as anything as he said all the way up to the 11th pick, it suggests that he thinks that, or that they think that they've got five players that they would consider there. Now, obviously, if somebody who you think is going to be a, 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 the sixth or seventh pick drops, that's a different deal. I'm assuming he's saying, in the reality of what they're looking at, here are the guys that we think we 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 like enough to take at 16, and who we would who we would get. So I wanted to go through this just for just for fun a little bit. But try to think through this. In no particular order, here are the five names I came up with. I came up with Georgia tackle Broderick Jones. Now, Jones is typically in mock drafts off the board before Washington picks. And, you know, I, I don't see any reason to think that that wouldn't be the case. But, you know, you never know how these things go. It Could there be, you know, if the four quarterbacks are gone early, you know, what if somebody takes B. John Robinson there? Um you know, at the moment, I sort of have one wide receiver going in the top 15. What if there's two? Uh, what if one of the tight ends goes off the board? Uh, could there be a run on cornerbacks where Joey Porter Jr., Deontay Banks somehow move up there? I don't see these things necessarily happening, but obviously you never know. and People do fall. So if they were, I think Broderick Jones uh, would be in a, a really good option for them. You know, my take on the offensive line is, Okay, maybe they've stabilized a little bit with some of the additions they made, but I don't see a lot of star power. I don't see a lot of potential here with this group, and I think someone like Jones would make a lot of sense. Now, the more likely tackle to be there, in theory, is Darnell Wright from Tennessee. He really had an impressive year going up against the likes of Alabama edge rusher Will Anderson, more than held his own. Some scouts I've talked to like him better. And Broderick Jones, I think the one potential hang-up is he's primarily a right tackle, and, and that could limit his value in the eyes of some. I I think if, if you know, if we're just talking like sort of a safe but really good pick for them, I, I think Darnell Wright would make a lot of sense for them. He, uh, yeah, I, I think that's just a good way to go. And, you know, this is where Andrew Wiley would kick inside. If, if say, it was Broderick Jones who could play left tackle, what would be interesting there is could they possibly release Charles Leno, save about $4 million towards the cap? They do have to make some cap decisions at some point to free up some more money. They're kind of like underwater by about a million dollars right now, um, even fa- factoring in signing all their draft picks. So Darnell Wright would mean moving Wiley to guard with Sam Cosby. And I think at that point, their line gets, a, gets pretty interesting. But... That would be my other thought there. Let's go away from the line here. Let's go to the secondary. I think if they wanted a pure outside cornerback, and we're assuming that Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez are off the board, I think it's Deontay Banks, the athletic freak from Maryland. I I don't necessarily know what they think of him, to be perfectly honest. And that is a little rich for some people that I have talked to, but from an athletic traits perspective, he is off the charts. And, you know, as we've discussed, Washington primarily played sub package last year. Four of the five spots are spoken for with two corners and two safeties. The third corner in general is open as well as that fifth defensive back spot. Ron Rivera told me, during the owners meeting, when I asked about Kendall Fuller, he said that their plan is to keep Kendall Fuller. They would like to keep Kendall Fuller where he is and work around him. I don't know if if Branch, sorry, if Banks is truly a slot guy. So that would be my one hesitancy. But you could potentially move Fuller inside at a minimum. You know, gives you a little bit of a hedge for 2024 because Fuller at the, this point is entering the last year of his contract. So I think that's conceivable. Now, of course, if you take an offensive lineman in round one, you could get a bunch of different corners in round two. A guy like Cam Smith from South Carolina could play 
zone. So uh, DJ Turner from Michigan, we'll talk about him in a minute with uh, Matt Bowen. So that uh, Deontay Banks, if they like really just want a cornerback, that would be my call over among others, Joey Porter Jr. I just, you know, I just don't see everybody we talk to talks about Joey Porter Jr. being a press corner. I also talked to Matt Bowen about him, and he has a little bit of a pushback on this idea, uh, and far be it for me to question what he thinks, but I I just don't see uh, Porter as a fit, especially after the William Jackson uh, debacle the last couple of years. But talented player, obviously, um, and maybe they disagree, but I would think Banks over Porter. Now, I accidentally said uh, Branch, as in Brian Branch, a second ago. I am super intrigued by Brian Branch the more I think about it. You know, he's a hybrid safety corner, really can play the slot. He seemed to take a hit uh, post-combine, did not, you know, had a relatively slow 40 time, or just one that's not particularly impressive, and his athletic traits are not off the charts. But his instincts, his mindset, his production, he is a really impressive player uh, I, I I definitely like what he can do he can play the slot now Washington played a bunch of three safeties the last couple of years as we know I I don't want to say this would give you a hedge if the cam curl contract thing doesn't work out because I don't I don't honestly know where things stand with that cam curl um, haven't heard much out of from his side and obviously Rivera has been tight-lipped at this point so we'll see but I, I think branch just I haven't heard anybody who told me they don't like him as a player. It's just sort of the athletic traits. If Washington does not have an issue with that and they just look at the tape and see a guy who plays faster than whatever his 40 time is, then I think that could be a very interesting call. So I really like Brian Branch. Last one. This one is if you know, you've heard me talk about what are they going to do with Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat? You know, is, is it is there a world where they take defensive end? In the first round, knowing that they're they're currently their their top five defensive ends from last year are all free agents uh, after next season, I still think there is a chance that this happens. And Lucas Van Ness from Iowa to me would be the one that I, I really wonder if they would if it would get them to say we've got to we've got to do this. Van Ness is uh, another player we'll talk about with Matt Bowen. He can play edge and he can play inside. You know, the, if if the fact that they're waiting to tell us about Chase Young, why would you wait unless there's potentially a reason? And one one reason is, what if the board shakes out a certain way? Uh, our draft insider Dane Brugler has Van Ness as the number ten prospect on his board, but I, I, it's been kind of all over the place that I've heard with, with Van Ness, anywhere from ranging from Atlanta at eight all the way down to say Seattle at twenty. If he is there, I legit wonder if Washington would say we need to we need to do this, and that would signal likely uh, the you know the, that they're not going to pick up Chase Young's option, and uh, you know to have a rookie contract at defensive end and be productive with Payne and Allen after this year, that's a nice way to keep your hopefully keep your level of play up while lowering cost. So those are the five names that I've kind of come up with for right now. Uh, one more bonus one I'll mention, and actually, and this is another guy we talked about with Matt Bowen, and that's Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. He is considered typically to be the best lineman in this draft. Not everybody thinks he's a tackle. Some think he's more of a guard. But I, I think if he's there at 16, I think Washington could run to the podium and 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 get him out again we'll have Matt explain why he's so interesting the only reason I think it's conceivable he gets to 16 uh, he is Brugler's number seven prospect is the guard play you know if people decide they want offensive linemen but but tackles they're gonna look at a Paris Johnson from Ohio State or a Broderick Jones or maybe even Darnell Wright and you know guards could slide a bit so I think in a perfect world he would be the answer I just don't know that he will actually in fact get there um so anyway, go check out in this regard. Go check out the the, the mock draft done six ways. Uh, some of these players were mentioned in there. Some of them were I had them picked by Washington. So uh, 
those are the five names plus Skaronsky that for right now, if you made me guess what are what when Ron Rivera says they're gonna have a group of five names, those would be the five that I would guess at now. I didn't mention B. John Robinson. I, I just I don't I don't think that makes a lot of sense for them. He may be a great talent. I, I just don't know if I see them saying we're going to do this because you got to look at the total value, and I don't know what Antonio Gibson becomes sort of an afterthought, and he's going to have no trade value with one year left on his deal. Not saying you pass on a great running back for that reason, but you know if you like Robinson and Gibson, I don't think you need to worry about that for now, but we will see on that. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, Matt Bowen enjoyed this conversation. A insightful guy, straightforward. We talked about a bunch of these prospects based on who he thinks has some of the best skill sets for specific or specific skills in this draft class. Here we go. Matt Bowen on the standard room only podcast. All right. Excited right now. Cause we're about to get smarter when it comes to the NFL draft and just football in general. Joining us here is former uh, player for this team. And of course, an ESPN out analyst and writer, Matt Bowen, Matt, I appreciate uh, your time. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Are you? Uh, obviously, the draft is an exciting time, but you got to put in a lot of work to do all the Brit, the film evaluations that you do. Is it uh, thrilling? Or are you kind of excited to see the finish line getting close? No, I like doing. It. I like watching the tape, um, getting a feel for what the prospects can do. And that's where my main focus is. I always look at projections and trying to project a young player into the National Football League and what they can do with NFL coaching with an NFL scheme. I'm not big on saying, well, this player has so many weaknesses. Let's focus on what the positives are and what can be developed and what are the coachable traits they have and the uncoachable traits they have. And then what I try to do with that is to fit it in today's NFL, how the NFL is changing both schematically from an offense and defensive perspective. When we look at defensive backs and linebackers, you have to project how they can play and impact special teams as well as the next level, which is an outstanding teaching tool to developing versus NFL speed. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. Um, well, I want to go through some of the players. So you had a, a great article up um, on ESPN. I think it was last week where you look at, you, you go through what, 50, 53, 53. different, 53 different sets and traits that players have. Um, and you picked who you thought was sort of the best of that group. And I want to go through some of these names, particularly for guys that I think could be potentially interesting for Washington. Um, let's okay. start. At, let's start at cornerback. If you're good with that. Typically mm-hmm. in the mock draft world, Joey Porter Jr. is a guy that shows up a lot for Washington. Feels like, you know, Witherspoon and Gonzalez are probably off the board. He might be next. You have him down as the best uh, press coverage ability. What's your view mm-hmm. on Joey Porter in general? Well, I think Joey Porter is a you know top 20 prospect. That's why I see him. Because again, in today's NFL is a passing league. And that's what you have to tell yourself when you're looking at these prospects is how do they fit in today's NFL? Well, it's a heavy passing league. And whether you're a zone team or a man team, everyone's going to play some sense of man coverage, especially in critical down and distance situations. That's third down. It's in the low red zone area of the field, especially when you go back to third down, third and two to six, third and seven to 10. And you need corners that can challenge wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. I'm a, I'm a, that's a firm belief of mine is that if you sit in zone coverage in third down, these NFL quarterbacks are going to find the windows, they're going to attack them. So look at someone like Porter who has the press man skills, has the long frame, especially in breaking routes to create on the ball disruption. To me, and he's a physical player as well, that is what a top 20 cornerback is right now. And I think Porter is going to be in that range where if Washington is looking to add someone in the secondary, he could be the pick. So the good thing, of course, with you is you're not just a a college guy. You obviously are paying attention to the NFL during the season, and you Mm -hmm. therefore know that William Jackson struggled to adjust here coming from – he constantly talked about he was a man corner basically with the Bengals, came here to – Jack Del Rio's you know, uh, uh, teams play zone. Like you said, it's not like abnormal, mm-hmm. but he just could not adjust to whatever was here. And they obviously cut bait during the season. Every time I hear a Joey Porter comment about the press corner, I get a little nervous and it's maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't be, but in terms of Washington, Doug, do you think he is a good fit or is there another corner in that range that you think based on what they do and what the player does would make a little more sense? 
I think Porter's a good fit. Like I said, you have to be, you know, scheme versatile in today's NFL. Can't just be a man corner. Can't just be a zone corner. I use the term backfield vision and zone coverage. That's the ability to play. And you know, like Coach Del Rio plays a lot of cover three, that outside of one third where you can read inside to the quarterback, play two to the zone, uh, be able to get a jump on the football because you have excellent eye discipline, because you have transition speed. If you don't think it's Porter, what about Deontay Banks from Maryland? Deontay Banks from Maryland, I think, is another scheme versatile player who has excellent transition speed. What I mean by transition speed, that's when you come out of your pedal. Your ability to drive top down the football, whether you're going on a deep end breaker, driving on a slant route, driving on a curl route. You need corners who have that short area acceleration. I use the term rapid accelerator. That's what Banks is coming out of his brakes. Has excellent ball skills. I think he's an aggressive, competitive cover corner, and that's another name I would look for if you're a fan of Washington. Okay. Washington could go obviously a few different ways in the first round, but I think they do need to draft a corner at some point. They wait till day two. Uh, DJ Turner from Michigan is potentially a Mm -hmm. guy to consider. He ran the fastest 40 time at the combine. You have him down. He's not just a speed guy. You have him down as the best technique in coverage. And also Washington needs a slot corner, I think right now. And you said that's Mm -hmm. where you kind of like him. So what do you like about uh, what's your view of DJ Turner, how he might fit in? You bring up a great point about the ability to play inside. Uh, he can play outside. He did that at Michigan. But I do think he has the traits, again, when you talk about projecting players, where he could be your boundary or outside corner in your base package. When you get to your sub package and get five and six defensive backs in the field, he can slide inside because he's got excellent footwork. Okay, and everyone thinks that press coverage is using your hands. It's always feet before hands. You have to be able to slide your feet. You have to be able to mirror releases. You have to be able to have lateral change of direction ability. Turner has that. In addition to he does have excellent hands once he's in the proper position uh, to play press coverage. He can play off coverage as well. And you mentioned he has excellent, excellent top-end speed. And I think the 40-yard dash can be a bit overhyped every single year. But this is one position where it, it does matter in terms of your draft value. You have to have a good stopwatch time to play corner in the National Football League from a scouting perspective. And you need that long speed because you are going to get beat at times. You're playing against the best the best wide receivers in the world. And there's times when they're going to get on top down the field and you have to be able to recover and get back in phase and make a play on the ball, and Turner can do that. Okay. Well, I think he's, he's certainly an interesting name for me if they go offensive line in round one. I think he could be somebody to look at in round two. Um, okay, now let me ask you this. So Washington's base defense is, you know, they, they basically play five defensive backs the majority of the time. Right now right. they have two clear cornerbacks and they have two clear safeties. The fifth defensive back mm-hmm. is wide open. Now, I would probably say they don't really have a third corner, so that would be maybe ideal. But then you look at a guy like Brian Branch, the quote-unquote safety from Alabama, who you have down yeah. um, as the best coverage instincts. And it's listed in your story as a safety slash corner. So when we're looking mm-hmm. at what Washington could do, how do you view that what Brian Branch is, if we're viewing him more of a safety than a corner versus like a guy like the, the other guys we just discussed? Like, how do you kind of view those two things? I think you would play him like the Saints utilize C.J. Gardner-Johnson a couple of years ago in New Orleans, where he is your slot. I use the term slot safety. Some people call it a star. Some people call it an adjuster. And what it is is your fifth defensive back when you're playing – three safety sub packages. And that, that safety has the ability to tackle in the run game, has the ability to cover, has the ability to help you disguise with late rotation because he can drop back and play as a deep post defender or a deep quarter or a deep half defender. But really, I use the, the best term for that and is multidimensional. And that's what today's safety, in my opinion, that's what you really want in your secondary, multidimensional safety who can do a little bit of everything. And they're good at a little bit of everything. So they give you matchup potential from a defensive perspective. And Branch, he didn't run the best time. He ran a four, five, eight. It doesn't matter. You watch him on tape, he plays much faster than that. Uh, very instinctive, very smart, high football intelligence. You can see that just based on the tape, his, his, his movement ability, how he gets a jump on plays, how you can see that he can you know, analyze pre-snap alignment and motion from an offensive perspective to get a jump on a play. I think he's an excellent player and it doesn't matter. Just call him a defensive back, right? You're trying to draft great football players. And in Washington, he would be that hybrid defender who can play in the slot for you. 
Okay. Um, does that? I don't know if, how, if you view the these players in this way, but at sixteen, where they pick, is that a fair spot to get a guy like Branch, or is that too early for a non-corner, or a non-traditional? This corner? is. It's a great question. This is what I think. If if you are, have a really high grade in the player, does it matter? Right. If you're in your building in Washington and you have a really high grade in Brian Branch, can you think he's an ideal fit for your defense and for your football team? Can set help can set the identity of your secondary, then draft him, right? Doesn't matter what the draft grade is when it comes out on Monday, right? <laughs> it matters if you're building a good football team. So I'm in that belief because I think Brian Branch does have first round talent. If that's in the mid-first where Washington's drafting, then you draft him. Then you draft a player because you see the positional value of today's NFL. You see the multi-dimensional traits, and you see how it can help your football team. Okay. Let, let me switch away from the secondary uh, to the offensive line, which is Washington's other primary need. And let me start with a guy where positional value may come into factor, and that's Peter Skaronsky, who I haven't really talked right. about at all here because typically he's viewed as like maybe the first offensive lineman off the board could go to the bears at nine, you know, way before mm -hmm. 16. But the question with him at some level is measured out with shorter arms. That means some people may think he's primarily a guard guards tend to go a little bit lower than say tackles. And maybe there's a world where he actually got to Washington. I doubt it, but if he did, I think mm -hmm. that's actually the best case scenario for them. Cause that's what they need. What's your view on him. And then that idea of where his value kind of is, if you see him as a guard or a tackle. Well, I think it'd be very similar to a player that was in Washington from the university of Iowa and Brandon Sheriff. As someone who was an all American tackle at the university of Iowa. Some people saw him as a tackle. Obviously Washington saw him at his main position playing offensive guard. And Brandon Sheriff has made a lot of money playing guard in the NFL. He's playing guard for the Jacksonville Jaguars now. He's one of the best guards in the league, in my opinion. Uh, Wiskronsky, I think it's a similar path. That some teams will see him as a tackle and some teams will see him, see him as a guard. But right now, and I think I listed, listed him as the, the best technician in my piece. He has pro-ready technique, okay? There are, there are offensive tackles in this class who have higher traits or in terms of a higher ceiling. We're looking at someone right now that is well-schooled in terms of clinic-worthy reps on his college tape and ready to step in day one and to be a productive player on the offensive front. That's Skronsky. That is Skronsky right now. Well, I think he's a plug-and-play day one starter for you. Well, that's a guard at tackle. I think he makes your football team better. And, I, I look, I'd be surprised if he's still on the board when Washington drafts because of that. But if he is, that would be an excellent pick for that football team. As the, yeah, I'm with you on. I don't think he'll be there. But the more I do mock drafts, and you start, you know, this is lying season. You're trying to get a read for what people do, and you know, if the pass rushers move up, if the, you know, if the if quarterbacks are all gone, you know, things like that. All of a sudden, somebody's going to be falling, and I kind of wonder um, about him. But I agree. I don't think so. I just think perfect world that would make a lot of sense for Washington. Um, I, I don't I don't have, remember if you talked too much about these other top offensive linemen who are going to be projected in the first round in your article, but what do you, do you, does any of those other like tackles um, kind of stand out to you uh, in particular? From a first round perspective, sure. Paris Johnson from Ohio state, Roderick Jones from Georgia and Darnell Wright from Tennessee is a player that I could see there for Washington. Now, look, I could be totally wrong and totally off about this, uh, but I think you're going to start to see a run on the tackle position, whether it's at nine with Chicago or even earlier in that top 10 will determine what Washington is going to be presented with when they when they come up on the clock. But Paris Johnson, Ohio State, has the traits, has a high sling as a left tackle in the National Football League. Broderick Jones has excellent traits that you look for in a tackle in terms of the body type, the lower body agility, the foot speed. And Darnell Wright is a player that I think is being a little bit undervalued right now in the media from a media perspective. That's someone that could go – in that top 15 of the first round, again, because of future projection, how he projects to play in the National Football League, and again, because he's a tackle. And you have to remember this. The first round, especially the top 15, usually the top 20, is about premium positions, right? And offensive tackle is one of the top premium positions. So regardless of where you see these tackles in a mock draft, they usually tend to go much earlier because they are so, so hard to find in terms of having – a potential blue chip player at that position.
All right. Um, this guy's not an offensive lineman, but you have him down as the best blocking tight end, and that's Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I think when the season ended and we start, you know, try to guess like what Washington could do, tight end for me was a very notable position, maybe more on the veteran front, but nonetheless, something they could use. But but they've been pretty steadfast about saying they think they're good with what they have. They like some of the younger players. That said, Michael Mayer, you know, I, I don't know if you think that, you know, again, a value at, at 16 is, is fair or not, but he just seems like such an intriguing player and obviously we see a lot of the really good teams have a difference making tight end so what do you think about him and is he sort of for you maybe overall the the, the top tight end in this class I think he is a top tight end because you know with Michael Mayer you have someone who ran a pro route tree at Notre Dame who blocked in pro run concepts at Notre Dame he is a complete wide tight end a wide tight end is someone that can play on the line of scrimmage attach the formation with the ability to flex outside and in terms of his route tree, his route tree reminds me of Jason Witten from Dallas and someone who might not be as explosive in terms of vertical concepts and catch and run ability, but in terms of moving the chains and getting open, creating leverage for himself, using his frame, strong catch radius, can make plays in traffic. Well, that wins football games too. You need first downs to win football games. And Michael Mayer, in my opinion, can help you in the run game, get first downs for you in the pass game, and can also be utilized as a red zone matchup player. And to me, that is someone that you would draft in the first round. Now, again, is it the mid-first round or the late first round? I don't know that yet. We're going to see how the draft plays out. But, again, that's another potential option if Washington thinks that they want to upgrade and get better at the tight end position. Um, And let me go one more player here. This is a, an unusual one if you're in terms of Washington – but they've got a big question here with Chase Young. Are they going to pick up his fifth-year option? Um, mm-hmm. Even if they do, Montez Sweat is going into the last year of his deal. So it seems reasonable that one of these two guys could be gone, knowing they've already paid the two defensive tackles. Right. I, I've been saying that I think defensive end is a sneaky play for them at 16, and Luke is okay. Ness is is a is one I kind of wonder about. You have him listed as the most powerful defensive lineman. Yes. Uh, such an interesting case. He didn't start at Iowa, and yet he could be a first-round mm-hmm. pick. Um, because they just, I guess, it's, I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. What's your view of, of of him and sort of that idea of maybe even Washington taking a guy like that, knowing kind of what I just said, that maybe it's a hedge towards the future with Young and Sweat? Well, I could see that as, a, I mean, that, that would be something that no one has really predicted right now if you look at the mock drafts. But again, when you're building to the draft, you're not building for, the prospects rookie season, right? You're building for years two, three, four, and five as well, especially when you're talking about a first-round player. And that would make sense, to your point, from, you know, roster construction and how you're building out your roster and planning for the future and what your roster is going to be. In terms of what Van Ness is as a prospect, he is a power end. Now, he did play inside at times for Iowa and their sub-package personnel, especially on third downs. We'll see if that is translates to the National Football League. But I see him more as your base power in someone that can play as a five technique in, the th- in a 30 front some that can play outside as a seven technique in a 40 front i think as he gr- continues to develop he will develop a deeper box or toolbox of counter rush moves right now he is that power rusher long arm bull rush explosive when he comes off the line of scrimmage can knock tackles back and he's a high effort player he can make plays late in the down i think van ness given how young he is is an extremely high ceiling in the NFL. When he gets more game reps, gets more experience, works with pro coaching and adjusts the NFL game speed, that he can be someone who will set an edge for you in the run game and also get after the quarterback. All right. Um, well, I, I really appreciate the breakdown on all the players. I, I would be rem- I would be wrong of me to not at least ask you as somebody who used to play here Um early in the Dan Snyder era and a guy who covers the league. Uh, what do you kind of think about kind of what's been, what's going on here where it looks like Dan Snyder is apparently going to sell the team, which is something a lot of people didn't think would happen, but um, we may be mm-hmm. here as a guy who's been in this building. I'm, I'm currently talking to you from the park. Um, what, what do you, what have you been kind of making of everything from the outside and what do you think it will mean for this organization to move on? I think whatever moves are made, in Washington, I'm a fan of football history, that whatever this organization decides to do, if it's new ownership, the direction that it has to be is to be back in a position where they're winning. 
be back in a position where they're competing year in and year out. That is one of the best fan bases I've ever been around. I love playing there. I love the history of that franchise. But that franchise right now is not what the history used to be when Coach Gibbs used to be there the first time. And that's what you want to get back to. The way that Coach Gibbs ran that program, the way that Coach Gibbs ran that building, that's what you want. We were competing year in and year out to, for division titles in the NFC East and eventually competing for Super Bowls because that's what I believe that franchise can be. I know you're not here on a daily basis, but if the new owner uh, came to you and said, hey, Matt, you've been around the league, you were here, what's like one thing that you would tell for the new owner to do <clears throat> from the football side to make a change? From the football side? Um, consistency. Consistency within the building in terms of the coaching staff and the roster. Uh, you look at the most successful teams, the successful franchises in the NFL, look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's one that immediately comes to mind, the New England Patriots, how consistent they are within that building, where the head coach is the most important man in that building. I think that's where you need to get to. I muted myself again because I keep coughing. Um, he is on Twitter, at Matt Bowen 41 obviously a really – insightful with NFL and of course the draft is right here Matt greatly appreciate the time best of luck with your remaining uh film work and uh we'll talk soon all right thank you very much all right um let me just quickly and I appreciate everybody for listening to that hope you enjoyed that if you are into the wizards I got a little more for you if you're not and you're tapping out I get it just as a reminder though we'll have Plenty of podcast coverage throughout the draft and uh, leading into the draft. I already mentioned Evan Silva. I've got another guest coming up as well that you'll be excited to hear from. So make sure to check that out. All right, let's just go to the Wizards here really quick. So they fire Tommy Shepard on Wednesday. This was a stunner, but only in the regard that there had been zero buzz publicly about this. I, I mean, you know... My view has been, I think Tommy has done a very good job with trades. You know, the Russell Westbrook trade was fantastic. Uh, you know, getting Davis Bertans for nothing was was a good move. Overpaying Davis Bertans out of the next year was it was a different problem. The Porzingis trade to then turn Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie into a guy who's you know basically an All Star player is is legit. He has done some good things. There's no doubt about it, but big butts. It's been 20 years of the Grunfeld Shepherd era, and the Wizards obviously have not had much to show for it. And in the time and since 2019, when Shepard took over, you know they have not hit on their draft picks. At best, guys like Corey Kispert and Denny Avdia look like they could be decent reserves, but not much more than that. I can't stand the term big three. But, you know, with Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma, they have three talented players. They just don't have much beyond them. And ultimately, you know, Tommy Shepard's got to have to take a hit on this. He obviously did by getting fired. And I think to that end, I don't have an issue with this. That said, you guys have heard me many, 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 many times, you know, point out the flaws in Ted Leontis's logic with how he's been running this uh, situation. You know, Tommy Shepard is not working solely under his own ideas. He's got to work within the parameters that Ted Leontis has set for him. And I presume that included keeping Bradley Beal and extending Bradley Beal the way they did. Uh, you know, the second they traded Russell Westbrook, they, sh and, and didn't have to give up picks to do it. They got back a nice haul with Kuzma and others they should have looked at that as an opportunity to reset this franchise and trade Bradley Beal. Not that Bradley Beal's a bad guy. I have enjoyed Bradley Beal as a player, and he's been you know helpful to me when I was in the locker room at times, uh, you know, covering the team. But he's not the best player on a title team. It's way too much money for him, and they needed a reset on everything, the roster, the culture, and that was their opportunity. They blew it and didn't do it. And now, where are they at? They just fired their GM. They have Kuzma and Porzingis headed to free agency. And they're looking to bring in somebody else. 
I don't know who they're going to get. We'll I'll come up with, give you some names in a minute. But if if you're coming from the outside looking at this job, how appealing is this right now? I you know I, I said that like to me the second they signed Beal to this extension, it was the worst I felt about them since Gilbert Arenas in the locker room or with Gilbert Arenas with guns in the locker room. Because they have capped their ceiling at like six, seven at best. They didn't even get there this year, of course. They're in the playoffs, or sorry, in the uh, lottery, and they have the eighth best odds to get the first pick and probably the eighth pick, or, you know, assuming nobody jumps them. So this is a bad case scenario uh, for sure. And that's what's so amazing that Leonis finally breaks the 20 year streak of Grunfeld and Shepard and does it. At a point when, to, oh, and by the way, if you didn't see this, in the statement where, where Leonsis says that not making the playoffs the last two years was basically too tough to take, he specifically says they're going to make an external hire, which is hilarious because, again, they've had the same, essentially the same two people running the show for 20 years. That he's saying he's going to make an external hire suggests, one, he it, it, it lets people know it's not going to be somebody in-house again, that it will be something different. But two, it does kind of make you think that he's got a name or two in mind, maybe just one name in mind of somebody that he wants to get. Uh, what I my, my early speculation, I my phone started ringing off the hook and people were texting me yesterday, even though I don't cover the Wizards anymore. People from around the league. What I've heard so far, here's my best guesses. You've got Tim Connolly. In Minnesota, we know that Leonsis tried to woo Tim Connolly to come from Denver here before he eventually went to Tommy Shepard. My understanding at that time was they just were not making Connolly a competitive enough offer for him to jump ship when he had a good team. Obviously, the Nuggets are the one seed in the West. They've been on a pretty good run the last few years. Um, he just went to Minnesota last year. He signed a huge deal. I think he even got some part ownership in that. But there's, I, I've heard enough noise to think that he may be able to some way with his contract to be able to get out of that and come here should he want to. You might say, well, why would he want to? Well, Tim Connolly is from the general area. He, he he grew up in Baltimore. That was the appeal of him last time. He he used to work for the organization. So I, I think that could be appealing if, in fact, he can get out of his deal in Minnesota and does, in fact, want to come here. The... Uh, you know, Masai Ujiri with the Raptors, you may not remember this, but I was, I think, the first one to report back in whenever that was, uh, 20, uh, 2019, that the Wizards were trying to get him. And obviously, they ultimately did try to get him, but they, you know, they, they, they didn't have enough to, to bring him here either. Now, I don't, again, I, what I was told at that point was that Masai was very interested in the D in DC, the city, because he tries to do a lot of uh, work with like uh, basketball overseas, and this being a diplomatic town, that this would be a way for him to maybe have more connections to try to help you know the grassroots efforts in in basketball in Africa and things like that. Plus, you know, obviously to to try to win uh, uh, win a title. So I, again, I, I, I Toronto did not have a great year this year. I don't know that, that the Maasai would come here, but that would be a, another name. And if we're going for a little more traditional, like as assistant for another team, I would look at Trajan Langdon with the New Orleans Pelicans. His name has come up multiple times uh, over the last 24 hours to me as well. Look, the Pelicans, they had a pretty good year, minus the fact that they ended up kind of cratering a bit when Zion Williamson was hurt again and out for so long. But a lot of their... Picks have worked out well. Uh, Herb Jones, um, you know Brandon Ingram, who they got in the Anthony Davis deal, is is an All Star player. Uh, Trey Murphy, they've got a lot of interesting talent. They, I think they've put done a pretty good job, and I think he would be a really interesting player if uh, or uh, interesting uh, GM should they go that. He is currently the GM of the Pelicans, but David Griffin is the president above that, so he isn't really running that show. I think he could be interesting for sure. Uh, I, it is just, look, I have no issue that they moved on from Shepard. It's incredibly frustrating that 
Leontis has put them into this position. What's going to be fascinating is does Ted Leontis ultimately tell a new GM, here's the deal, I want to continue to try to make the playoffs every year, I want to keep Bradley Beal, or has he has he hit an inflection point and says I've had a I, I've got him do something different. Um, I've got a theory as to why that may be the case, but I'm going to leave that to myself for now. And maybe when I have somebody on as a guest to run it by, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll share that a little bit more. So we'll, we'll talk more about this at some point, but that's where things are at right now with the Wizards. Um, yeah, I mean, if he's hiring somebody from the outside, this could be not only would it be a, a new person at the top of the front office, but really you could see a, a big overhaul with with everything there. Uh, it has been reported that Wes Unsell Jr. is safe. I, I don't, you know, uh, it's almost hard to know how to judge him. I get why he would be safe for another year, but, you know, we'll see where that goes once they bring in a new GM. And frankly, I don't know why you're saying he's safe until you hire a new GM, but what again, what, what can I tell you? All right, um, that is it for me. Thanks to everyone, as always, for checking out the podcast. We've got a lot more to come here, one week to go before the NFL draft. But that is it for now. Until next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.